Hey folks, and welcome to Hey Adora, your queer Shiver podcast. This is Radio Free Etheria. Hi, queer fam! Yay, I am so fucking happy that we are all here together! <laughs> My name's Mef. Uh, I identify as a non-binary trans person. I use the pronouns of they, them. And I am every kind of gay because that's what being non-binary allows you to do. And I am Jenny. I am a queer, cis, lesbian lady. And we're here to get gay with you, like real gay. Like about as gay as the show is. So we are here today to bring you our episode zero. We're going to talk about who we are, why we're here, and how uber gay nerdy we are going to be. It's going to be pretty deep cuts. Um, yes. So uh, Jenny, why don't you tell the people who you are? My name is Jenny. You figured that out. And uh, I am a big gay nerd with a background in media studies. You know that anything with the word studies in the title is going to be super fun and hard to explain and hard to pin down <laughs> because <laughs> it's not just one discipline. But, you know, that really started in high school. I was in high school in the 90s. We both were. We were king gays of the 90s, FYI. There was not a lot of media representation for us back then, and what there was was super shitty and depressing. But I always thought, you know, even back then, even when I was 14, that, you know, I would like to see a queer couple in a toothpaste commercial. That would be more normalizing and heartening for me than all the laws in the world, because laws can, they can't even force people to do things. They can say, if you do something shitty, I'll sue you. Doesn't mean I'll win. Still can't force you to do anything. And that doesn't change hearts and minds. Seeing things in the media that normalize like queer couples could sell toothpaste just as easily as straight couples, that's normalizing. Seeing queer characters in the TV shows that you love and cheer for, that's fucking normalizing. That makes you feel seen. That makes you feel like you are part of society. So that's why I am so fucking excited about this goddamn show. Meph, why don't you tell the people a little about you? Um, so yeah, my name is Meph, and I am a professional extrovert. I have a background in playwriting, uh, as well as fiction, as well as performance art. Um, I'm a musician. I'm a show host. I've done burlesque. I've taken my pants off in public, not for burlesque. Um, <laughs> I am I'm a snake oil salesman, uh, just general bon vivant. And professionally dapper. I'm professionally dapper. And I am also a giant fucking media nerd. I was brought to this because of many of the reasons that Jenny was talking about. Uh, I grew up around the same time and growing up queer, you know, in the 90s was not the worst. Things were finally kind of starting to get somewhere. But it was very much about still finding it. You were still looking for the queer characters instead of just having them be. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, it was very much about, like, you know, I, I Zine and Gabrielle and Willow and Tara. And, you know, it was all about subtext and subterfuge and queer coding, which is something we're going to be getting into. Yes. But even when we didn't have to reach for the subtext, say Willow and Tara, as your example was, oh, P.S., full spoilers in this show. If you don't know Willow and Tara and you don't want to be spoiled, get the fuck out of here right now. Full spoilers for everything we talk about. Everything yeah. we talk about is full spoilers. Willow and Tara, you know, you think for a hot second, wait, this is going to be the first uplifting queer romance we've ever had. These characters are happy. No, haha, fuck you. You thought you're going to get a happy ending? That's not possible because you're gay. You're not going to get a happy ending ever. Totally. And we're going to speak to those sorts of tropes that um, we found that, you know, she ran the Princess of Power actually subvert. They subvert the, uh, you know, barrier gaze. They subvert the ideas not only of queer storytelling, but of kind of traditional understandings of storytelling themselves.
themselves, the chosen one idea is deeply subverted. Gender politics and identities are subverted in particular ways. Um, the idea of a strong female character is subverted. And I think most importantly, the thing that really drove me to really connect with the show is the concept of homonormativity. So heteronormativity is working under the assumption that every single person and a situation and just like the general like... I think you're making it more wordy than it even needs to be. Heteronormativity is when everyone is straight unless proven otherwise. Homonormativity is the opposite. We have a world in Etheria where everyone is queer unless proven straight. And I've never, ever seen that before. And it's something that really drew me to the show. And it's something that, uh, you know, I know a lot of queer people actually kind of have in their own lives. And so seeing that sort of full, I want to say full spectrum, but like full embracing of something that a lot of queer people in the queer community that builds their chosen families have was really uplifting for me. Also, I really like to see female coded characters in suits. And we get that. I mean, who doesn't? I mean, that's just really important for me. You know, that's a, I, I have a thing for suits. It's a really important thing for me. <laughs> so I guess one of the things that really drew me to this project and really made me go from like not doing a damn thing about anything to really like, you know, reaching out to people in my community is I feel like, and this is like going to sound very um, <sighs> emotional. I had a weird emotional connection with it. Um, it felt like for me seeing this world, seeing this homo- homonormative world, seeing this world where this protagonist of this story that I started watching because of nostalgia. I grew up with the characters of uh, the character of Adora as a hero and watching this character, uh, you know, save the world with queer love was so deeply cathartic for a person from my generation because it felt very full circle. This was my hero as a child. And as an adult, this hero is queer like me. And, you know, I've held this throughout my, you know, throughout my adult media consuming life. As I've mentioned, I'm a giant media nerd. You know, I love love comic books. I love, you know, movies, television. Um, I, I love genre things where, you know, one can find these sorts of uh, gender and sexuality variants a little more easily, mm-hmm. as I found. And finding this character for a show that is, we're going to use the phrase all ages shows in this podcast because they are designed for people of all ages. But clearly, because we're all here. (laughs) Yeah, because we're all here because we're old and we're talking about it. But this idea that this character that I that, you know, I held so dearly to my childhood heart, you know, I got to see embrace so effortlessly, so fully, a queer sexuality in a Mm -hmm. queer world with not only, oh, there's two girls kissing at the end, but it was their love that saved the universe. Explicitly queer love saved the universe. And that blew my fucking mind. And it took me out of a depression. And like, I found other people that had the same visceral, this, it's a, it was a visceral reaction. Oh, yes. It was like my heart opened up and I was able to, you know, there was just, there was this like crazy heart opening thing that happened. And oh, yes. It's helped us all through a really hard time. Oh, God. I think this is the actual, no question, best thing that has happened in 2020. Not that it was a big contest for what's the best thing that's happened in 2020. I mean, talk about cathartic. You know, we're going to get into that. Obviously, that's a huge chunk of the experience and why it's so deep and why we 
we all need to talk about it so much. And, you know, part of what brought us to this point is we just wanted there to be a queer Shira podcast that we could consume, an explicitly queer lens Shira podcast, so we could gay scream about gay stuff together. And there just wasn't one. And it was like, what the fuck? How can there not be? And we were like, okay, well, we have to make it. (laughs) I mean, the sound that came out of my body when I saw them kiss, even though it had been leading up to it so seamlessly and clearly, and it wasn't subtext anymore. And I was like, okay, but they're not going to take it that far. They couldn't possibly take it that far. It's an all ages show. They're not actually going to. And then they did. My body had this completely primal non-brain reaction where I laughed, cried, and screamed literally all at the same time. And like my hands just like flew to my face. My brain had no part of that. Yeah, That was a completely like feral body reaction of my, you know, my, my most primal parts all being like, this can't be real. But yet I am seeing it happen. Because we've been conditioned profoundly all of our little gay lives to expect that, you know, queer heroes don't win. Queer heroes don't exist. Queer heroes die. Yes. Yeah. I mean, bury your gays or they sacrifice themselves. You know, that's just how it goes. And if there is queer love going on, you're never going to see it as main text. And it's certainly never going to be the central story of an entire show that carries the show. And of course, it's not just Catra and Adora. The whole show is super gay in all these different wonderful ways. So there isn't just like one gay character representing all the gays, which was me in high school. I missed I missed a day of school once. And then I came in the next day and my English teacher said to me flat out like, oh, we really missed you yesterday. We were discussing Moira in The Handmaid's Tale. You missed your gay day. I missed my gay day. But the point is, you know, to have the the same richness and variety of queers on a show that you actually have around you in real life as a queer person was just unheard of, as you said, to have a whole queer fam around you on a show like you do in real life. It is so cathartic. And it is so cathartic for me seeing this as an adult and thinking back to my childhood. You talked about how powerful it is for you to come full circle and see Adora as an adult after having, you know, loved her and identified with her from your early childhood. And of course, I loved this show when I was little also. I had the sort of protection. Seeing something like this, knowing that it's meant to be read as queer, knowing that for sure, knowing that everyone else knows it, so we all know that we all know together. Like, it makes profound difference in how you consume media and having space to talk about it and digest it. Queer processing, I mean, my God. What is queer life without queer processing? Um, it's, I don't even, <laughs> you know, the, it. you just like broke and fried all of my circuits. What do you mean we're not processing? Of course we're going to process. We're going to process for like six hours and then we're going to yeah. cry. Um, you know. <laughs> and then we're going to laugh. And then we're going to gay scream all together because the more we all gay scream together, the more cathartic it is. Exactly. Uh Noelle Stevenson was the showrunner of the show. They got their start as a uh, graphic novelist and comic book artist. Youngest person ever to win the Eisner Award, which is the big award for comic books and graphic novels. Yep. And also was the way that many of us knew that this show was going to be gay. It's like they got who to be the short? They got Noelle Stevenson? This shit's going to be gay. It's going to be real gay. Yeah. And that is why we're all here together, of course. 
that is absolutely why we're all here. Um, and I definitely want to speak to uh, something that you mentioned earlier about media as your environment. I mean, media is air. We, we There's so much information, so much input uh, that you are getting every day, consciously and subconsciously. And the, uh, the images and the narratives um, that we understand as, uh, you know, microcultures and subcultures and you know, cultures and macro cultures and global cultures and all of these things dictate how your how you interact with people in real life. Um, and you know, of course, this is going to be like you know, total source amnesia on this one. But you know, the amount of empathy that you feel for a person, many you can also feel for a uh, fictional character. Absolutely. And there's like you know, sciencey science around that. Data never lies, and there's data for that. That's true. And also, for the kids who are watching this, it's not only about the queer kids who feel normalized and who can grow up not feeling like fundamental outsiders from day one. It's also about the straight kids, which, let's face it, there are way more of them. Them getting queerness normalized is so important also, because they can grow up surrounded by queer peers of their own and not be like, what the fuck? you know, you're weird and different. I don't get you. So I have to beat you up every day of your fucking life, (laughs) which sucks. And there's data on this too, for kids that live, grow up in places where they don't have a lot of openly gay people around them. So they don't, as far as they know, they don't know any gay people, but they know, they know Katra and Adora, or, you know, they know Kurt from Glee and they have empathy for those people like their real life friends as if they know them and they can think of them as real people. And that's the equivalent of knowing a gay person, which makes you less of a homophobe. Data never lies about that either. We also, I feel like we could say more about the need for uh, for adults, for adult queers to have this discourse now, because, you know, the, the experience of seeing something like this now, it is awesome and amazing and cathartic, but it's filling such a deep hole that we have been <laughs> okay okay yes that i walked into that one you you walked you fell into that one <laughs> you spelunked into that one i you... spelunked into that one completely oh by the way you're going to be getting so many stupid immature gay jokes because i am a 12 year old boy i feel like that is partly our dynamic and also that's part of what the people are here for no i feel like they're they're here for that too you know and also like there's gonna be a lot of dumb shit like yes we're both very smart educated people that really talk about things like homonormativity and queer coding and you know media landscape and yes uh, you know talking about like i don't know i'm just gonna say foucault because it makes me sound smart if i say the word foucault well we are gonna talk about foucault and you know mama butler Mama Butler and the signifiers and the signified and all that fun shit. But you know, I'm also going to try to uh, convince Jenny that Catra is a bottom. (laughs) I don't need convincing that Catra is a bottom. I need convincing that Catra is a soft butch. I still don't believe that that is accurate. So this is the level of discourse that you're going to get. (laughs) You're going to get two highly educated adults who are going to talk about, um, you know, 20 and 21st century media theorists, as well as arguing about how cartoons fuck. Totally. Oh, absolutely. We go we go full high and lowbrow here at Hey Adora. Mm -hmm. The full spectrum. You get the full experience. The full experience. That's the most fun. You get the girlfriend That's experience the most fun. here at Hayadora. Yes, the full girlfriend experience. It's the most fun. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
um, I did want to mention that, you know, we actually came to this through uh, our particular community, as well as, you know, kind of drawn to our love of the strength of the narrative and drawing parallels. And we're going to do this a lot. Me in particular, uh, I really like to do to, to draw parallels between narratives. Um, a couple of texts that I'm going to choose focus on the narrative of the chosen one. And I'm going to the ones that I, I really love that subvert the chosen one in really particular fashions are Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which subverts and doesn't subvert it in two ways, in two paths, I should say. The uh, Avatar universe, so Avatar the Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, Legend of Korra also being yeah. an, an animated show that uh, it does have queer protagonist. Though we will also be talking about the, the phenomena of the queer protagonist comes out at the end. And She-Ra, the Princesses of Power, which has this extremely lovely and strong subversion of the Chosen One narrative. One that I feel is a, the strongest subversion within the three texts of eschewing the idea of self-sacrifice for self-fulfillment and embracing the full idea of love, not only as love for another person, but as love for oneself. Because you're worth more than what you can give to other people. You deserve love too. Exactly. How many of us survive that moment with dry eyes or without like your heart like turning inside out? I mean, I don't know many people that did. Um, <laughs> and also those are just three three shows that we deeply, deeply love yeah. and that obviously have had strong influences on Shira. And you can see, I mean, the correlations are strong. The force is strong between these three shows and we like it and we're going to point it out when it comes up. We're going to make a, a lot of comparisons to other medias, as I mentioned before, to kind of show not only the full kind of breadth and width of queer uh, representation, but of, you know, narrative representations of feminism, narrative representations of gender variance, narrative representations of race. So I just want to jump in. Um, we are well aware that there are some problematic racial tropes in Shira and the Princesses of Power. We are well aware that it's pretty fucking obvious that the entire writer's room is queer white women. We are also well aware that Noelle is deeply committed to BLM, right? We know that Noelle and Molly raised 42k for BLM in one night with their live stream fundraiser, which is to say they've messed up in the past and they know that they're aspiring always to do better, which is what all white people should always be doing. We will be having a critical eye on these things and we are also two white queer people and we are certain to also misstep and stumble and when we do we beg and plead that you not let it go please tell us when we fuck up so that we can also improve ourselves and continue to be on the anti-racist path to the best of our ability because no white person has ever arrived at that point and been done Absolutely. we are always on that journey and on that path to be better white people and better white allies so don't think we're going to gloss over that shit because we are not. Absolutely. It's very, it's, you know, it's deeply important. And it is one of our strongest held um, values between the two of us that, you know, it's mm -hmm. part of the conversation about dismantling patriarchy, dismantling racism, dismantling sexism, homophobia, transphobia, uh, ableism, the dismantling of <coughs> capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> Institutional hierarchies and power structures. Exactly, exactly. Which is also a theme that the show kind of does embrace. Yeah, because the magic belongs to all of us. The magic belongs to all of us and the magic lives within all of us. The magic should be free. Preach. 
All right. Now I'm just going to kind of get loose with this. Um, Please do. So I'm deeply convinced that the characters in this show were created in a special lesbian laboratory to be as hot as humanly possible for people who uh, identify as queer or uh, have attractions to queer women. The lack of male gaze in the show is extraordinary. The lack of, of male power fantasy is extraordinary. But that being said, like, uh, c- come on, man. Catra was made in a lab to make lesbians hot. Like, <laughs> like it's like a super secret laboratory. You know, you see like these like, you know, hot queers just like sitting there in lab coats with like, you know, with piercings and face masks. And they're, you know, trying to figure out how to get in just the right amount of cat, but not furry. There's go- they're going to hold that line real hard. They, they hold the line there. They hold the line and they're like, how can we make, how are we going to build this adorable, wholesomely gay protagonist and put her in a situation where like you realize that she is not in a wholesome situation, but somehow she doesn't realize it. She's so wholesome that she just like takes things for granted that people tell her the truth, which is another heartbreaking storyline. To have to, you know, for kids also to have to come to terms with the idea that not everyone tells you the truth, that you could be raised in an environment that is actually toxic and terrible just because adults tell you one thing doesn't mean it's true about indoctrination and, you know, sticking to your own morals, even when they go against what everyone in power is telling you that shit is really deep. And those are amazing values for kids. And I do think that that actually brings up another point that I did want to raise, which is uh, not only is this show extremely strong in, you know, subverting narrative ideas about, you know, the chosen one and the hero, bringing in a, a, a universe that is homonormative and one could argue superficially racially diverse and body diverse is another thing, but how the show deals with understandings of trauma and abuse and how it shows our two, our two protagonists. So uh, I will argue throughout the entire show that while Katra is framed as an antagonist uh, and does do antagonistic things, she is not the prime antagonist of the show, rather the emotional protagonist of the show. I agree. So the show has two protagonists. It has the emotional protagonist, the protagonist that shows the growth of the emotion of the show. And that is Katra. And it has the plot protagonist, the one that drives the story of the show. And that is Adora. And only when the symbol of the plot protagonist and the emotional protagonist come together is when the show is culminated. They literally go to the heart. The heart of the show is fused and the show is able to conclude. Solid. I have no argument with that. Thank you. I am smart sometimes. <laughs> I did digress from the understanding of trauma because they also both have parallel paths in how they deal with trauma. And that's going to be something that is it's very important thing to understand these characters as. These characters are child soldiers, you know. Yeah. So the parallel journeys of trauma uh, and the parallel narratives of trauma of not just Catherine and Adora, the, the two protagonists, but the other... Um, all the other Horde kids. All the other Horde kids, all the, the kids in the, you know, the, the, the rebels, uh, you know, the Rebel Alliance. Noelle, who's a showrunner, mentioned that their ages are between 17, like 16 and 19 when the show starts. And it spans over a course of three years. And that is just when we see their culminating battles. We do not see them training. We do not see their indoctrinations as so much. But we are to understand that these are children. These are teenagers. These are child soldiers. These are child soldiers. All of them are child soldiers. All of them are dealing with the realities of war, the realities of colonialism, the realities of grief. How do you, you know, how do you deal with losing two parents? How do you deal with telling your full 
books that you have voluntarily signed on to perhaps die in a war. It's the, the undercurrent of war, of battle, of of indoctrination is a huge theme in the show. Actually, I always assumed that the Horde kids had no choice. I didn't think they would sign up to be, you know, Horde baby soldiers if they had any other option. If their parents were alive, if their parents wanted them, you know, we don't have any backstory on any of them except for Adora. And, you know, eventually we we find out how how it came to be that Shadow Weaver just found Adora as a baby. Um, Light Hope sucked her through the portal. But the others, you know, Catra doesn't seem to have any memory of ever having had parents or a family. You know, they, they as far as they are concerned, they feel like throwaways. And that is part of their low self-esteem and self-worth, especially for Catra. Absolutely. And, you know, I was referring to Bo, actually. Bo voluntarily. Right. But that's not the Horde. Nobody voluntarily joins up with the Horde as a child. Well, no, absolutely nobody voluntarily, you know, but those are also the two sides of indoctrination. And these are things that, you know, we can continue to talk about uh, as we move through the episodes. Um, Yes. There are philosophical, major philosophical differences that Jenny and I hold about these episodes. (laughs) Yes. But mainly, mainly we're here for the gay. I'm just here for gay screaming, really. Like, I'm just here for, for watching, you know, lesbian catgirls with swords and leather jackets uh, sit on a throne with a sword between their legs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And also, so here for the, so here for the bi boys. Oh, yeah. I'm always here for bi boys. And I mean, there's so many other things that, that we can talk about here. Um, yeah. So that's just a taste. Should we get into our final point of what can people expect from this podcast, Meth? Well, first of all, lots of gay screaming. Mm-hmm. Extremely immature gay jokes. Yes! Gay junior high screaming. Gay junior high screaming. Gay locker room talk. Gay locker room talk. Oh, I've seen that <laughs> film. I've seen like so many versions of that film. I'm going to a place now. I'm coming back to this place. <laughs> it's hard to come back from that place. We're going to have, you know, gay locker room talk. We're going to talk about, um, you know, the philosophical underpinnings of media. Uh, we're going to talk about narrative theory. We're going to talk about um, lesbian cat girls that were yes. created in a lab. Absolutely lesbian cat girls created in a lab. But we're also going to talk about queer subjectivity and yep. how these things impact us specifically as queer viewers and how it's framed for us, how it impacts us now as queer adults versus the expectations that we've had set for us our entire lives by our entire experience of media up till now as queer people versus the impact it has on kids who are having totally normalizing experiences. That lens of, you know, queer and media stuff. And queer media stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to talk about what constitutes canon. What constitutes canon is fascinating because the show itself is the text. Jenny and I are going to figure out what also constitutes the text. Do the live streams that the creators do constitute text? Is what the creators say in an interview considered canon? Is that considered text? Are the playlists that were uh, designed by the writing crew to give them an inspirational, emotional impetus to write the characters, is that considered text? Ooh, speaking of playlists, that is something you can expect from us as well. Meth is making... And has already made the most fantastic, delicious, sink your sharp little vampire gay teeth into it playlists for every single one of these episodes. And y'all, these are not just like random playlists. They're like a legit mixtape for each episode. Yeah. So the playlists are going to be communicating the emotions, feelings, and themes of the characters 
I mean, let's be real, it's probably just going to be Catra and Adora, because that is the ship that I sail on and have sailed on since the first two minutes of the yeah, ship. Yeah, the playlists are going to aid you in your gay screaming in case you're having any trouble. Hypothetically, this is like your life raft to help you sail down the rapids of gay screaming with even more juice. That's what's going to happen. So each playlist has a, a focus on queer artists, specifically queer pop artists, 80s music because it's an 80s show, 80s covers because the show is an 80s cover, and just, you know, fun. I don't know. I worked at a record store. If you are old enough to remember what a record store is and you are even old enough to remember what a record store clerk is like, <laughs> we are uh, musically pedantic a-holes. Think of the film High Fidelity, only uh, I am not a dude. Fair. No, you are definitely not. I'm kind of that guy. I'm not going <laughs> to You are definitely that record store employee, though. The playlists are going to be made by a yeah, an ex-record store clerk who loves music. So Also, if you're like me and you don't have a strong musical education background, but you like music, it's just going to help you enjoy your gay screaming more. That's all you need to know. We are also going to have awesome guests on both the episodic episodes, and we are also going to have a lot of fun bonus episodes. And as much as you want to hear our voices, you know, we have a phenomenal variety of guests from um, the academic world, from the podcasting world, from the activist world, just ridiculous humans that we, we love and cherish who have, you know, fascinating and diverse voices. We're also obviously going to talk about all the characters that we relate to the most, which one is our sun sign? Which one is our moon? Which one is our rising? Of course, we all know. We know that you know. We're all going to talk about it together. Absolutely. We're going to talk about our favorite characters. We're going to talk about our least favorite characters. We're going to talk about the characters that, you know, that we relate to. Yeah. You know, like we mentioned before, drawing parallels between different media. You're going to get a lot of playlists. You're going to get a lot of terrible jokes of extremely intelligent discourse followed by fart noises. You are going to maybe get some of me singing though i wouldn't i wouldn't put you through that <laughs> we're going to run the gamut of queer joy and queer fascination and how important uh, this text is as a voice for a new queer canon yes um i kind of got away from one of the most important things i wanted to say explicitly is that this show represents an absolute watershed moment Absolutely. In, in the history of queer media and of queer all ages media more specifically. You know, this is a point of no return in, a, in the best way possible, um, in the same way that you and I came of age at a time that was also a type of tipping point in the sense that everybody who was queer before us had it way harder and everybody who came of age being queer after us had it substantially easier and we kind of had one foot on either side of that mountain. This is another one of those points. It's not like everybody after us had it easy. They just had it easier. And this is another one of those massive, massive tipping points where it's like, look, queer people can be fucking heroes and have awesome, happy endings and can be the whole story. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. This is possibly one of the queerest shows I've ever seen that not only has explicit queer sexual content, but also is not specifically about the queer experience. So this show is a, it's a sci-fi fantasy show about a girl, her cat, her friends, and her sword. That's what the show is about. Yep. It's not about coming out. It's not about being gay. It's not about moving to the city and finding people to fuck. It's not about ridiculous lesbian drama. It's not about, you know, it's not about any of these things. It's a fantasy show with fantasy underpinnings and a fantasy narrative about a queer 
woman. Because they live in a fucking homonormative world. Yes. So nothing can be about being gay any any more than a story in our world can be about being straight. I agree. It is, uh, it is about an experience that is understood to be everybody's experience because everybody is heterosexual. Just as right. in theory, right. every single experience is a is about the queer experience because everybody is queer until proven otherwise, which yes. I don't really know if they've ever proven that for anybody. I don't think they have proven definitively that anyone is straight. No. Maybe, maybe King Micah. That's who I think. Yeah, but even him, like, we don't know for sure. But maybe, maybe someone will write into us and make a passionate case one way or the other. If anyone has a strong opinion about King Micah's sexuality, please make your impassioned case to us at uh, heyadoracast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter or Insta at heyadoracast because wherever you are screaming on the internet, we are there for you. We're definitely screaming with you as well. Yes. Does that bring us to the end of our jubilant gay romp for today? (laughs) I believe it does bring us to the end of our jubilant gay romp. Uh, What have we learned today, Jenny? We have learned that gay screaming is fun. Super fun. And that Catra's really hot, even though she's a cartoon, for reasons that we can't quite pin down, maybe? Lesbian Science Lab. Lesbian Science Lab. And that magic is for everyone. Thank you for listening to Hey Adora. Stay tuned for our next episode, The Sword One. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at HeyAdoraCast, as well as emailing us at HeyAdoraCast at gmail.com. We look forward to your gay screaming with us. And remember, queer joy is radical. And queer love saves the universe!